This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by educational grants from Eli Lilly, Merck Sharp and Dome Corp and Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. I'm Emma and today we're bringing together what we've discussed so far regarding the use of SGLT2 inhibitors with a discussion of a complex case. I'm joined by Professor Francesco Giorgino, who's a Professor of Endocrinology at the University of Bari Aldo Moro in Italy, where he's also Chief of the Division of Endocrinology at the University Hospital, as well as President of the Italian Society of Endocrinology. So the case we're discussing today is Ms. J, who's a 75-year-old woman diagnosed with type 2 diabetes 12 years ago, and she currently takes metformin, basal insulin, and glipizide, which has kept her HbA1c at target for the past three years. She's recently experienced edema and fatigue, and she's now been diagnosed with HEFREF, or heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. So firstly, what do the relevant guidelines and the currently available evidence say about treatment for this type of case? But this is a, a patient that uh, has an important uh, organ damage issue, which is the reduced ejection fracture of the uh, left ventricle, so uh, heart failure, what we call, uh, uh, again, as you said, uh, HEF-REF with, uh, with this particular reduction. I assume that she has a reduction of the ejection fraction, which is uh, lower than 40%. And so we clearly have uh, evidence from the literature that in these uh, patients, regardless, I would say, of the presence of diabetes, of type 2 diabetes, SGLT2 inhibitors are effective in reducing heart failure outcomes, namely hospitalization for heart failure, cardiovascular death, and uh, as was uh, apparent in one of such studies, also an urgent visit for uh, heart failure. So I think that we uh, cannot, uh, you know, avoid the use of an SGLT2 inhibitor in this particular patient because we need, with this uh, problem of the heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, we need to prevent as much as possible the negative and potentially even fatal outcomes of the condition of heart failure. There's also a possibility uh, that uh, her quality of life might improve uh, because of uh, the introduction of an SGLT2 inhibitor into therapy. Uh, I would like to also note that she is relatively old. She has uh, 75 years. She's uh, 75 years old. So clearly, uh, there could be some uh, uh, caution in using Uh, an SGLT2 inhibitor, but at the same time, the benefits that have uh, been described exceed uh, any uh, concern that uh, we we could uh, uh, treat such uh, a patient with an SGLT2 inhibitor. So I would definitely go for that class of drugs. So if you were to initiate an SGLT2 inhibitor here, how would you decide which to offer her? I think uh, that, uh, as I said, because of the age, I would uh, use uh, a lower dose of an SGLT2 inhibitor. Um, I think at this point, uh, they all show advantages. So I don't think we have really reasons to prefer one over another. Empagliflozin was uh, able uh, to show this benefit in uh, Empareg, but also regardless of the presence of diabetes in emperor reduced, which is exactly 
the situation in which this uh, patient uh, insists. Uh, also, uh, there is uh, similar evidence with uh, uh, DAPA gliflozin for the DAPA HF uh, trial. Uh, again, these, uh, uh, this other SGLT2 inhibitor could be a very good option to be used in this patient. But uh, I think that the benefit in terms of reducing heart failure outcomes is a, a property of the whole class. And when you initiated the SGLT2 inhibitor, would you adjust any of the rest of her treatment regimen? This patient is uh, apparently at target. So she is uh, uh, well controlled with uh, therapies that include, in addition to metformin, drugs that are able to promote uh, hypoglycemia. I'm referring to basal insulin and glipizide. So I would be careful to uh, reduce potentially the doses of these drugs, uh, reduce the dose of glipizide, reduce the units of basal insulin, because you, you would expect that by adding an SGLT2 inhibitor, you will have uh, a further reduction of hyperglycemia or, 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 the, or the glucose levels. So these uh, drugs could potentially cause hypoglycemia if we did not reduce the doses of uh, insulin and glipizide respectively. So this is uh, what I would, uh, I would do. I don't know how many units she's on. If she were on a very few units of basal insulin, it would be even possible to consider withdrawing insulin therapy. So how would you advise her to monitor for possible adverse events and how would you counsel her on safety? The SGLT2 inhibitors can uh, reduce uh, blood pressure to uh, some extent. So this is an issue that should be uh, monitored. So I would definitely tell the patient to uh, monitor more frequently her blood pressure to introduce a sufficient amount of uh, fluids of water, you know, drinking water in order to provide enough uh, uh, fluids for keeping her blood, uh, blood volume. And definitely uh, the most frequent adverse event that is uh, experienced with SGLT2 inhibitors is the possibility to develop genital infections. So I would uh, tell the patient to be very careful on her personal hygiene in order to prevent as much as possible this uh, uh, potential outcome. And if because of COVID restrictions, the appointment were to take place remotely, are there any special considerations or ways of handling the consultation that you would take into account when initiating this new treatment? I think that uh, if we have to uh, manage this patient remotely, uh, it would be very important to clarify all of the uh, safety issues that are potentially associated with the introduction of an SGLT2 inhibitor into therapy. But this could be done remotely. I mean, I think the, the patient could be instructed, again, to be more careful on personal hygiene and also to uh, monitor uh, blood pressure, to uh, drink enough water, to also be uh, potentially more uh, eager to, to test uh, some, some blood uh, parameters, for example, creatinine or, or potassium or other uh, electrolytes that could be monitored potentially more frequently if the patient is also on, on diuretics. But having said that, I think uh, what should be considered in this particular context of COVID is the possibility that the patient might get COVID infection. And if the COVID infection is severe, so it uh, 
develops with uh, fever, with uh, pneumonia, with uh, shortness of breath, with uh, respiratory failure. Obviously, the SGLT2 inhibitor should potentially be withdrawn. So that's something I would uh, be very careful in highlighting to the patient to uh, reconsider the therapy she's on if she uh, were to develop uh, an infection from COVID-19. This is because uh, we have to follow the, uh, the sick day rules uh, when there is, there is an acute infection, as it can happen again with, uh, with COVID-19. And uh, there are drugs that are used to treat diabetes that it is better to withhold for a period of time until the acute phase of that infection is over. I'm not only referring to SGLT2 inhibitors because they could, under these conditions, for example, favor uh, ketoacidosis, but also to metformin, which could also be associated with an increased risk of lactic acidosis. So that's something that should be also explained to the patient. Conversely, if it was HEF-PEF that was identified or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, what would the available data say about treatment of this case? If uh, the kind of uh, heart failure were with a preserved ejection fraction of the left ventricle, I don't think we, we would uh, change much of what I have said. The evidence for preventing heart failure outcomes is less sound as compared to uh, heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction just because we cannot build on the evidence provided by the two studies that I mentioned, Emperor Reduced and uh, DAPA uh, HF. But definitely we have evidence for reducing the incidence of uh, adverse heart failure outcomes also in patients who do not necessarily have a diagnosis of uh, reduced ejection, heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction. Because uh, what we know from the CVOTs with the various SGLT2 inhibitors is that uh, these agents are able to prevent the uh, occurrence of uh, hospitalization for heart failure and cardiovascular death uh, in people that are characterized by uh, heart failure or also people who do not have a diagnosis of heart failure, people with uh, no history of uh, previous heart failure, which could be also people that maybe have a diagnosis of uh, uh, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, but uh, uh, they never were aware of that. What I'm, I'm trying to say is that uh, there are people with type 2 diabetes that often have this condition of heart failure with preserved ejection fracture, but they are not aware of it because it was not diagnosed. And so they are affected, but they, are, they don't have a recognition of this condition. So it is possible that these individuals were enrolled in uh, the various trials, AMPREG, uh, DECLARE, CANVAS, uh, uh, Vertis CV, and, and so there was an effect of using the SGLT2 inhibitor to prevent adverse heart failure outcomes also in people with the undiagnosed heart failure because of the uh, situation of the preserved ejection fraction. So I think that for this kind of observation, uh, the SGLT2 inhibitors would also be appropriate if the patient had heart failure with a preserved ejection fraction. So theoretically, Ms. J initiates an SGLT2 inhibitor and three months later, she experiences a mycotic genital infection and asks if she should discontinue her treatment. What do you recommend to her? I think that a single episode of mycotic genital infection is not 
sufficient to uh, interrupt this treatment because the treatment as we have said is uh, quite beneficial it will uh, potentially even save the life of this individual so it should not be discontinued just because there's one episode of mycotic genital infection of course this episode is uh, something that uh, the patient will not like but it is possible to control it with a topical therapy with an anti-mycotic drug and likely after the resolution of this uh, single uh, initial episode it is possible that she will not experience any any more episodes so i i think that uh, what i would do for sure is uh, tell her to treat the infection with a topical uh, drug preparation and uh, and then uh, to uh, to continue treatment. So then Ms J continues her SGLT2 inhibitor for another two years at which point tests indicate she has albuminuria of 90 milligrams per gram and an EGFR of 50. So in this case should her regimen be adjusted? I think that uh, in this condition the patient is developing some kidney problems if she had not such problems before we don't know exactly but it looks like she now has albuminuria and she has a reduction of egfr and the sglt2 inhibitors would definitely be appropriate in this particular context because uh, as they uh, have been shown to reduce uh, cardiac outcomes heart failure outcomes specifically they definitely also reduce uh, renal outcomes so the progression of the progression of kidney disease the, the further decline of EGFR, the increase of albuminuria, these are all outcomes that an SGLT2 inhibitor is able to prevent to an important extent. So I would uh, definitely continue the treatment with the SGLT2 inhibitor. It is possible that the antihyperglycemic efficacy of the drug could be lower because of the reduced EGFR, but this is another issue. We know the patient was at target. She uh, probably needed some adjustments of basal insulin or glipizide and uh, we could potentially go back to reconsider those drugs or the dosage of those uh, of those drugs but uh, in, in regard to uh, to control of hyperglycemia but in terms of organ damage the SGLT2 inhibitor I think becomes even more appropriate if the patient has uh, in addition to heart failure problems uh, also as we have seen kidney problems. This brings us to the end of today's time. We'll be back in two weeks for the next episode, which will be a complex case discussion of initiating GLP-1 receptor agonists. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review or rating as it helps other people find us. And if you have any feedback or questions, we'd love to hear from you. So you can contact us on social media, which you can find links to in the episode notes, or by sending an email to contact at knowledgeandpractice.eu. Thanks for listening.